What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Locked On Yankees podcast, your daily podcast covering the New York Yankees. We are brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're a new listener to the show, hello and welcome. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Gotsoulias, and I write for Baseball Prospectus. You can follow me on Twitter at the Locked On Yankees account or at my personal account, Stace Gotts. You can listen to and subscribe to Locked On Yankees on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, and pretty much every podcast platform available. You can also listen to the show directly on our website, LockedOnYankees.com. And finally, you can play Locked On Yankees on your smart speakers by saying play podcast Locked On Yankees. As always, you can email questions or comments to LockedOnNYY at gmail.com. On today's episode of Locked On Yankees, We'll be discussing the Hall of Fame voting results and the Yankees signing Danny Farquhar to a minor league deal. I forgot about that yesterday. I realized it after I uploaded the podcast. I thought, oh, that's the third thing I wanted to talk about. So we'll be talking about it today. But first, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. So at about 5.45 yesterday evening, I started feeling uneasy about the announcement. I knew that Moe, Edgar, and Halliday would get in, but I was worried about Mike Mussina. I was watching the match game with my mom, like I do almost every single <laughs> evening, and I felt my hands shaking a bit, which usually happens when I'm nervous and when I'm in big crowds and need to escape from the crowd. But I wasn't in a big crowd, unless you count the four cats who were surrounding me, so it was definitely the Hall of Fame causing my hands to start shaking. Right at 6, I said to my mom, the Hall of Fame results are going to be announced, and I need to change the channel. So I changed the channel to MLB Network, and I knew they weren't going to be announced right away, and that I'd have to sit through some yapping by the panelists and the writers they had set up in another part of the studio. But I felt better having the channel tuned to MLB Network because I felt like I couldn't miss anything. That FOMO is for real, y'all. So many of the panelists expressed how they believed Moose was going to make it, and they seemed so sure that it could happen and that it should happen that I I relaxed a bit until it was finally time to make the announcement. I clasped my hands together like I did many times attending (laughs) Yankee playoff games in the past. I kept my eyes fixed on the TV while also tweeting about how nervous I was and how I wanted to throw up. As soon as the guy from the Hall of Fame said how diverse the class was, it gave me some hope that Moose had made it. And the first name he read was Edgar Martinez, and it's about damn time because it's ludicrous that he had to wait all 10 years. So I was happy for him. I was sick of them showing his hit against, is that Jack McDowell in the 95 series? See, I have seen the clip so many times, and I look away from the TV when they show it because I hate it. Then they read Roy Halladay's name and spoke about his accomplishments, and it's still hard to believe that he's not here. Then the Hall of Fame guy, whose name I can't remember, moved the sheet with Halliday's announcement over, and I could tell there were two more pieces of paper. So I sucked in my breath, and when he began to speak and I heard the words knuckle curve, I let out a squeal. My mother told me to calm down, but I wouldn't calm down because I started crying. Mike Mussina had made the Hall of Fame, and I started crying. I was not expecting that result at all because I really thought the writers were going to screw it up. 
I don't even remember what the guy said after I squealed because I was just so happy that Moose had made it. I was grinning from ear to ear while my eyes were filling up with tears because I was ecstatic. And everything was gravy after that because we all knew that Mo was getting in. But what we didn't know was that he would be the first unanimous Hall of Famer. Scratch that. Some of us believed that he could be, but we figured that the voters would screw it up. That there'd be one dude who was like, I'm not going to vote for Mariana Rivera. He shouldn't be the first unanimous Hall of Famer. But they didn't. They didn't screw it up. They didn't screw up Moose, and they didn't screw up Mo. So Edgar Martinez, Roy Halladay, Mike Mussina, and Mariano Rivera will be enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So after that debacle, when they didn't elect anyone into the Hall of Fame, they have let in a bunch of guys the last few years. So kudos to the writers who have made it so guys who are deserving are getting into the Hall of Fame. Although I do have some thoughts about the fact that Fred McGriff fell off the ballot, and I hope he gets in through the Veterans Committee. And you'll be happy to know that Andy Pettit did not fall off the ballot. He had 9.9%. You have to finish under 5% to be knocked off. So he's still on the ballot. So with the four guys who were off the ballot and with the new class next year coming in, it looks like Larry Walker in his 10th year, which will be next year, should make it. Because those four guys being elected just cleared up a whole bunch of spots Derek Jeter's really the only slam dunk Hall of Famer that we know is going to get in. Um, You have guys like Bobby Abreu, you have guys like Jason Giambi, people like that who are going to be in the Hall of Fame class. Next year, you'll see guys like Scott Rowland, their votes go up. You could probably see Kurt Schilling getting into the Hall of Fame in 2020. Bonds and Clemens, they have three more years, I believe, between the two of them. The results last night weren't in their favor simply because they didn't increase a lot from year to year. I think they only went up about 3% each, which isn't a good sign. Larry Walker increased from like 35% to 55%, so hopefully he'll increase again from 55% to 75% and get in. Up next, we'll be hearing from former teammates and Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner just be reading some of the statements that they made about Mo and about Moose. But first, so there are a lot of statements being made on Mo's election and on Moose's election. But first, let me just apologize for yesterday. I don't know what happened when I uploaded the episode to Megaphone, which is our system. Um, apparently it cut off the last like three minutes of the podcast and I uploaded it again about 10.30 last night. So if you want to listen to the last few minutes of that podcast, go to the version that says redo on it. And that's the re-uploaded version that has my closing thoughts on everything and how I was proven wrong by the writers. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Anyway, now I'm going to read some statements about Mo and Moose. First up, Hal Steinbrenner, about Mo. Mariano was a fierce competitor and a humble champ, which has made him such a beloved baseball legend. Success and stardom never changed Mariano, and his respect for the game, the pinstripes, and for his teammates and opponents alike makes this game such a celebration of his legacy. There will be many more great and talented relief pitchers, but there will never be another like him. This is another incredible achievement for Mariano, and a day like today brings me great pride knowing he wore the pinstripes for each and every game of his remarkable career. 
Cashman. It's humbling to think of the incredible journey that Mariano has had over the course of his life. His unassuming beginnings in a Panamanian fishing village to pitching for the Yankees under the brightest lights with the world watching. I speak for every Yankees fan when I say how fortunate we were to have had him on our side for so long. Clearly, his World Series rings and longtime statistical dominance testify to his standing among the greats to ever play our sport, but no matter how big a star he became, he never failed to carry himself with unerring professionalism and class. Mo was always someone who I could point to and say, that's what a Yankee should be. Aaron Boone kept it simple. Thank you. Mariano was simply the best ever at closing out games. He had the perfect combination of confidence and humility, and it was a thrill to play alongside him. Jorge Posada. Mariano is a rare once-in-a-lifetime pitcher and the greatest closer to ever play the game of baseball. There was such a humility and grace to the way he did his job, day after day and year after year. I am so proud of everything he has accomplished, and I am ecstatic that he and his family can celebrate this ultimate honor. Andy Pettit. Mo, congrats on being a first ballot Hall of Famer. What an honor it was playing alongside of you for all those years. When I look back on my career, many of my best memories directly involve you. This is a pretty obvious statement, but I wouldn't want anyone else closing out a game that I started. I never took for granted what you provided for each and every starting pitcher in our rotation. Bernie Williams. Now this is a long statement, a very long statement. But I love Bernie, and I'm going to read it anyway. When it comes to Mariano, I had the best seat in the house from center field watching him pitch. It was mind-boggling to see him literally just mow down hitters. Mariano would cause more broken bats in one inning than most starters had in an entire game. If we had a lead in the ninth inning, the game was over. He achieved a level of consistency for such a long time, and that is very hard to do. You just don't really see that in a reliever. That's what made him so remarkable. Everyone in the stadium knew he was going to throw that cutter, and they still couldn't hit it. Mariano, in almost two decades of pitching, essentially dominated three generations of players of the mid-90s through the 2000s and into this decade, and he did it with just one pitch. He faced everyone from Cal Ripken Jr. and Ken Griffey Jr. to Ichiro, David Ortiz, and Miguel Cabrera to Mike Trout and Manny Machado. A lot of people don't know this, but in the clubhouse, Mariano was a prankster. He was very funny, and we played joke on guys, jokes on guys to keep things loose. He was also one of those old-school players that took it upon himself to take care of young players. He would take rookies to dinner, talk to them about life as a major leaguer, and how to carry yourself. He was always very embracing of the young blood on the team, a great teammate. He was also a family man who was very devoted to his wife and kids. Perhaps the one thing I admired the most about him is that on his long road to becoming the greatest reliever of all time, he included his family and took this journey with them close by him the entire time. That's just the kind of man he is. There was and always will be just one Mariano, a special player, special teammate, special man. Tina Martinez. Mo was the only closer in baseball that jogged onto the field and everyone knew the game was over, including the opponent. He was such a class act, he never showed up a batter after striking someone out or retiring the final batter of the game. It was such a joy being a teammate of his. Paul O'Neill. He is absolutely the best. I've said it many times. We would never have had the run in the 90s without Mo. I don't know many people I respect more than Mariano because of who he is and how he stayed who he is, even while being the best ever. Edgar Martinez. 
who hit Mo better than anyone. Mo is one of the greatest pitchers of all time, and he's the greatest closer of all time. It was always a challenge to face him, but I enjoyed the competition, and I like to think he did too. It is very special for me to be able to share this day and this honor with him, especially since not only was he a great pitcher, but he did terrific work in his communities. And finally, Trevor Hoffman. Excuse me. Hall of Famer Trevor Hoffman. Congratulations, Mariano. Throughout your career, you exemplified the meaning of the phrase Hall of Famer. You're one of the most amazing pitchers in baseball history and have always represented the game with great class and dignity. Enjoy your rightful place in Cooperstown. That's nice. I actually really liked Bernie Williams' statement, even though it was really long, but I like how he spoke about how long Mo pitched and all of the different guys he faced. I actually was at a game when Miguel Cabrera hit a home run off Mo. But Brett Gardner hit a walk-off to win the game, so it was okay. (laughs) Here are the statements on Moose. Again, first, Hal Steinbrenner. I'm very pleased that Hall of Fame voters recognized Mike's consistently dominant career by honoring him with enshrinement into Cooperstown. While he went about his business in an understated way, Mike was a premier pitcher for almost two decades while competing in the grueling American League East. I'd like to congratulate Mike on this incredible distinction and for his many years of contributions to the Yankees and the game of baseball. Brian Cashman. I'm so happy to see Moose recognized for his incredible career, accomplishing what he did while spending all 18 of his seasons in the ultra-competitive AL East is remarkable. Unlike the big arms that dominate today's pitching landscape, Mike was a quintessential craftsman who played up to his strengths and hunted for the weaknesses in his opponent. Before that level of preparation was a commonplace to do. More importantly, though, he was a gamer, plain and simple. He wanted the ball and did everything within his power to get himself ready to contribute. I don't get too invested in players' individual milestones, but I was thrilled that he won 20 games in his final season. He deserves that validation just like he deserves the validation he's going to get this summer in Cooperstown. Aaron Boone. I absolutely loved playing behind Mike Mussina. He was a perfectionist, and his athleticism allowed him to do whatever he needed to do on the mound to be successful. Posada. Moose was the most intelligent pitcher I ever caught. He made catching fun because he was so well prepared. When we took the field together, he was always two steps ahead of everyone else wearing a uniform. This special recognition is well-deserved. Congrats, Moose. Pettit. Congrats, Moose. This is such a deserving honor. What you were able to accomplish while spending your entire career in the AL East was absolutely amazing. You were one of the best pitchers I ever played with, and I was always in awe of the way you attacked hitters, exploiting their weaknesses with control and precision of such an array of pitches. pitches. You were a true master of your craft. Paul O'Neill. Mike was a very quiet and very smart pitcher. He was definitely one of the best of his generation. He just never made the headlines because of his quiet personality. Now, I have to add that Paul O'Neill's statements have exclamation points at the end of every sentence, and it's really funny. And finally, John Flaherty. When you're catching Mike Mussina, you quickly realize that you are catching a pitching genius. I've never caught a pitcher who was more self-aware of what kind of stuff he had in each particular start. One day he would be a dominant power pitcher with his fastball, and five days later he would be a finesse pitcher with off-speed stuff. To do it in the offensive AL East? Genius. So I think those were all very nice statements. I'd like to say that as a Yankee fan, I was honored to watch Mo close out so many games and to watch Moose, especially during his post-game interviews when he was being a sarcastic jackass. 
the big question for Moose is which cap he's going to wear into the Hall of Fame. He said last night he can't make that decision because both organizations, the Orioles and the Yankees, meant a lot to him because he started his career with the Orioles, ended with the Yankees. He had similar numbers with both teams, and he was still basking in the whole being elected into the Hall of Fame and couldn't come to a decision, which I don't think anyone expected him to be like, I'm going in with this hat right away. He could pull a Greg Maddox and not have anything on his hat, or as I suggested last night, he should go in with a hat that says Chico's Bail Bonds because one of his favorite movies was the original Bad News Bears. So we'll see what he does. Up next, we'll talk about Danny Farquhar's minor league deal, but first. It's usually not that big a deal when someone is signed to a minor league deal, but in Danny Farquhar's case, this is a very big deal. Last April 20th, Farquhar suffered a brain aneurysm and he nearly died. It happened during a game when he was with the White Sox. He had to be carried out of the dugout, rushed to the hospital, and surgery had to be performed. They actually had to remove a piece of his skull to get to the aneurysm. 60% of cases like that, the person dies. Farquhar survived, and his only real issue that he has is his memory. It's a little foggy, and he doesn't remember what happened that day. But other than that, he's alive, and he'll be able to pitch. So the Yankees signed him to a deal with an invitation to spring training. Farquhar, who's 31 isn't exactly new to the Yankees organization. He was claimed off waivers in June of 2012, and he was part of the deal that brought Ichiro to the Yankees. In seven major league seasons, Farquhar has a 3.93 ERA in 253 appearances with the Mariners, Rays, White Sox, and the Blue Jays. I remember when the news came out about what happened to him and how horrifying it must have been for his teammates and his coaches. Because from what they said, he was complaining that he had a headache, he started to throw up, and then he collapsed. And the trainer caught him before he landed on the concrete floor. Some of the other players said that it looked like he was dead because he wasn't responding to anything. They got him out of the dugout as fast as they could, got him to the hospital as fast as they could, and again, he's lucky to be alive. The scary part of the story is how quickly it happened, which is how an aneurysm works. But he pitched, he gave up two runs, went into the dugout, he complained he had the headache, he said it was really bothering him, he started throwing up and passed out. It just happened in a matter of seconds. The fact that it's less than a year later and he's going to be able to return to baseball when usually that sort of thing kills a person is an absolute miracle, and I'm really rooting for him to make some sort of a contribution and maybe make the team and be part of the bullpen. I think that would be one of the best stories of the year, and I really hope it happens. So good luck to Danny Farquhar during spring training. We'll all be watching and crossing our fingers for you. One last thing before I go. I would just like to mention that there were some people, mainly guys who write about the Mets, who were popping off about Rivera being the first unanimous Hall of Famer. And it just cracks me up that this is the sort of thing that people get really angry about. I said this in previous podcasts. It's absolutely ludicrous that guys like Griffey and Pedro Martinez didn't make it into the Hall of Fame unanimously. 
That was because, frankly, the writers who have the position of voting guys into the Hall of Fame make themselves seem so much more important than anyone else. Some of them, not all of them. And there was also this belief that electing someone into the Hall of Fame unanimously was some sort of sacrosanct honor that no one could be that good or that special. And then Mo happened. But my thing is, if you have no doubts that someone belongs in the Hall of Fame, someone like Mo, someone like Griffey, someone like Pedro, why wouldn't you vote for them? If it's some sort of the ballot is crowded and this guy's definitely getting in, so I'm going to use my 10th vote for a guy who may not make it in sort of thing, I understand it. But there were people voting for just one guy, voting for just three guys, when, I think I said this yesterday, there are at least 14 guys, or were 14 guys, on the ballot who could have made it into the Hall of Fame. So that whole thing is kind of ridiculous. I saw a voter say last night that they may not vote for Derek Jeter because they may want to give a vote to a guy who needs to get to the 75% and needs every needs every vote to get to the 75% threshold. So don't expect Jeter to be 100%. Would I enjoy seeing Jeter get 100%? Yes, I would, because so many heads would be exploding. There were only a couple of stupid articles about Mo. There would be hundreds about Jeter, and it would be glorious. But he's not getting 100%. Here's my prediction for 2020. Larry Walker gets in on the last year of the ballot for him. Kurt Schilling gets in and Derek Jeter gets in. I think that's all we're going to see. I don't see Bonds and Clemens getting in. I see them improving. Like I said earlier, I believe they have three more years left, but they're definitely not getting in in 2020. So that's it for today's episode of Locked On Yankees, which is brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I've been your host, Stacey Gotsoulias. You can follow me on Twitter at either the Locked On Yankees account or my personal account, Stace Gots. You can email questions to lockedonnyy at gmail.com. You can rate the podcast and you can subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM. And if you could be so kind to spread the word about this podcast to your fellow Yankee fans, I would appreciate it so much. As we finish up today's episode, you can now tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on Yankees, to get my opinions about the Yankees, to get news about the Yankees, to get analysis about the Yankees. Have a good hump day, everyone. Especially you, Mike.